This program is sponsored by Futures Unbounded and is responsible for its content. Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. I am T.A., the teacher's assistant. This program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. Now, that's my standard boilerplate opening. And I've mentioned before the reason that this is a non-religious and non-spiritual is because we humans have gotten lost in looking for only that in the Bible. And we'll discuss it with one another, argue fine points, parse it down to as many little tiny bits as we can and try to visualize it from any angle. And the idea behind that is a good one. We want to understand. Unfortunately, and I'll say that more than I like, we tend to take it out of context then, looking for understanding. And the understanding is in the context. Now, that's a generalization, and it's quite true, and it would be hard to um, argue that from any point of view, so there's really no point. But people still do not do that. They do not read the Bible in context. I had a Bible study this morning, and I tend to enjoy the Bible so much that I will just keep reading and reading. There's so much in there. But for those of you who have not um, looked at the Bible as assiduously as I have, from the point of view, no one has the point of view I have, and that is guaranteed by the fact of the way we grow up, we come into our physical adulthood by becoming idiosyncratic, iconoclastic. We are individuals. Now we temper what we think and say by the approval or lack thereof of the community that we are a part of, the various communities. And that's all well and good. But at the same time, unfortunately, we also choose to think only in those patterns. And that's what's bad. So last week, I started the program and titled it Thinking Outside the Box. And the box is all the human-created ideas. All of those are in the box. And we tussle with one another and with each of these ideas. But we don't think outside them. And you're probably thinking, how would you think outside a box that was filled with all the human ideas? What lies outside that box? Well, the answer, of course, is God. 
Now, we have a lot of ideas about God within that box, but they are human ideas. So, by definition, they fit, but they are all inside the box. So, why is this a problem? This is a problem because we don't think outside the box. We don't look at all the information we have as data points within an empty set and then say, okay, so if all of these data points are inside this box, what is outside the box? How did all these data points become possible? How did they become germane? And how did they become something that expresses who and what we are? Well, the answer to that should be fairly simple, because if we express it as an opinion or a thought, or it becomes a data point, so it is an expression of who we are. All right, so that's pretty simplistic. People don't think of those kind of things, unfortunately. But that leaves everything outside the box. Now, in order for there to be a box, there has to be something outside the box. Forever, wherever there's an inside, there has to be an outside. That's just basic logic. Uh, again, people don't think of human expression that way, and they should, but uh, that's one of the reasons I'm here. So, as I mentioned last week, trying to figure out what's outside the box by getting lost in arguing different points within the box is not going to work. It just won't work. Now, what you can do is characterize all the data points within the box and search for data points outside the box. Now, one of the easiest mechanisms to do this is if it's not a discussion between humans, then it's not a point within the box, a data point. So you can have, as a human, have thoughts and if they're not already in the box, then they're on the outside waiting to get in. So these are the kind of logic and philosophic questions you should be asking yourself. And that brings us to this week's program. And that is, why? was the Bible written. Now, everything that is in the Bible is a human discussed data point. It's been discussed by humans for many years. It was translated from concepts delivered by God and occasionally even words which are 
concepts that have structure delivered by God, but they were all discussed by humans, which made them a data point within the box. And we don't have anything against data points within the box. Not at all. We need to characterize them and understand them, though, and understand the fallacy of only believing things that are in the box. Because at one point, nothing was in the box. And that point was about 6,000 years ago. Now, people will argue that human bodies have been around in changing fashions for thousands of years, many thousands of years, more than six, 12, 15, and before that, long before that, animal bodies that change to what would eventually become human are apparent in the fossil record. But there's a huge gap, and we don't know why. All of those missing lengths, about 60,000 to 80,000 years worth, as far as we can determine. And those numbers are not solid. Those are scientific guesses. Learned people discuss these things, and they come up with their best guess, and that's all it is. But because we don't have anything else, we need to accept that with the proviso that it is a best guess, that there is no record, fossil record, of what is essentially today considered to be human bodies within that time period. Now, the Earth has had a lot of upheaval, including glaciers, in that time period. But the record was existed before that time period, and it existed after. The closest we can come is about twelve to 15,000 years ago. And that's just human bodies. We don't know if they were fully human yet, but the bodies were here. Assuming that the bodies held humans is something that you do at your own risk. And as long as you put a proviso on it, that until we had written language and knew that people congregated for the purposes of civilization, which is basically about 6,000 years ago, it is only speculation. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that we only have a record for of six, the last 6,000 years. So that doesn't mean that it didn't happen before that. It just means that we don't have a record. So we cannot rely on that.
Well, why is this important? This is important because until there is a civilization that can record what happened, we don't know that there was a community other than a hunting aggregate. We don't know what was decided. We don't know what data points were established within that box until it was written down. Now, the history that we get from Moses that can be traced back to about 4000 AD pardon me, 4000 BC was is all we really have to go on and it was not written down until about 1500 BC between 14 and 1500 BC so there's 2500 years of human history that we have from this particular source, from the Judaic source, that was word of mouth. It was verbal, but it was done in community, so it fits the definition of human data points. Now, there are other civilizations on Earth, and some of whom may be older and have some way of recording that history. And we don't know about that. We can make assumptions. We can make guesses. But we don't know for sure. But... If we allow the data points into the box, then we have to accept the provisos that go with that. And that is that all this is our best guess. The knowledge is passed on to us from humans that existed before us and gave their understanding to what they wrote. In other words, just because it's written down and becomes a solid data point does not mean that the characterization and evaluation and information that is given was 100% correct or even understood. This is another proviso that we have to live with. Now, I'm going to all this effort to try and get you to understand the importance of looking for things outside the box. The importance is that once you define what is outside the box, other than just it's not inside the box, once you look at what it takes to get into inside the box, and define that, then you have a working decision matrix. That's another term you're probably not familiar with, 
But that is why Jesus came to earth. All of our history is written by people who guessed at what they saw and thought it meant. Every last human, whether they're in the Bible or not, is giving their opinion. So why is this important? Well, just because they gave an opinion and established a data point does not mean that they were right. It just means that this is what they thought at the point of their civilization and maturation. And that all needs to be understood. The things we do when we are children, I don't want to use the term feckless, although that fits. The things we do when we are children without the desire to be responsible and the learned ability to actually be responsible are things that you have to take into account and you have to evaluate the information based on that. It is information first. But it may not be presented to you correctly. And that could be because the individual writing it is responding more to their own point of view than to the actuality of what's happening. One of my favorite authors in the Old Testament, because he braved so much and spoke to God straightforward and asked questions that we all need the answer to, was Jeremiah. Jeremiah did not have a good experience, shall we say, being a prophet for God. And this is a problem. This is a problem because he thought from a young age that by being a prophet for God, that he would be revered by the community that he was detailed to speak to. He bought into this opportunity wholeheartedly. Matter of fact, it would probably be good, and I'm going to go back to, I have a laptop open here, and uh, I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 1. The Lord's, this is uh, Jeremiah 1, chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord spoke his word to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart for my holy purpose. 
I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah said, Almighty Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am only a boy. It's verse 6. But the Lord said to me, Don't say that you are only a boy. You will go wherever I send you. You will say whatever I command you to say, and do not be afraid of people. I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. Now I have put my words in your mouth. Today I have put you in charge of nations and kingdoms. You will uproot and tear down. You will destroy and overthrow. You will build and plant. Now that's Jeremiah verse 10. This is the attitude that Jeremiah entered into his covenant with God. The attitude that I am to be God's servant, I am to be, go to my people, they will welcome me with open arms. And of course, they did not. Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah 20 is kind of tough to read. It says we're religious people imprisoned, Jeremiah, because he was messing with their lock. They had a lock. They had everything they wanted. They had the people bullied. They had them looking up to them. They owned them. It was a political nightmare for those who didn't want to be owned. And Jeremiah, of course, belonged to the Lord, so he could not be owned by any human or any human agency, which included religious agencies. So he gets kind of tired of this. And he cries out to the Lord, which we are happy for him to do, for him to have the guts to talk to the Lord this way, because we learned a lot. Verse 7, chapter 20, Jeremiah. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and won. I've been made fun of all day long. Everyone mocks me. Each time I speak, I have to cry out and shout. Violence and destruction. The Lord's word has made me the object of insults and contempt all day long. Now, in Jeremiah's mind, as a little boy, this is not what he signed up for. He signed up for the cushy place in the temple as the representative of God. Sure that he would be feted and that people would pay attention to him. and Because, after all, he wasn't doing this of his own accord. He was just speaking the word of God. He was the messenger. 
and he found out what happens to messengers. But the fact is that Jeremiah deceived himself. When we read in chapter 1, God told him that he would rescue him, and he did, over and over. But he didn't say that life would be easy. As a matter of fact, he told them flat out, you're going to go and be a problem for these people. So how do you think? How would you think? Now he was a boy, but how would you think you would be received? It's very important. So I had no idea the time had gone this fast, but we will be back after the break because this is something that is so important we cannot let go of it. You must understand why God had the Bible written for you. Talk to you after the break. Swamp. Fake news. Racist hats? Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all true life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll You'll be be the the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. Welcome back, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. 
Now to continue with Jeremiah. The example that Jeremiah gives is extremely important for us to understand. Jeremiah listened to all the humans that he grew up with, as we all do. He decided that what he would get from being God's conduit to man was rewarded and important and that he would be listened to and fated. In other words, all the human stories that had been told led him to make an opinion that was away from reality. And he had to learn the reality. Now, I was reading to you from Jeremiah 20, starting with verse 7, and we ended with him complaining about how God deceived him. So, because this is written in the Bible, if you are a literalist, you then say, oh, God deceives people. He deceived Jeremiah. Now, I hope you understand how incorrect that is, because it's extremely important. God did not deceive Jeremiah. If you say, well, God permitted Jeremiah to deceive himself. Yes, that's true. But not so it would benefit God. So it would benefit all humanity. Now, why would Jeremiah deceiving himself and writing it down and having it included in the Bible... Why would that help all humanity? The reason is pretty simple and straightforward. The entire Bible, stem to stern, Old Testament and New, is about one thing. And that is, and Jesus said it in John 7, 24, that he came to show people the way not to judge on outward appearances, but to judge correctly. Now, because we've all received religious training, because that's the only kind of biblical training that you've been able to get over these many centuries, when you were able to get that even, The point is that we are still judging incorrectly. The things that we were told by Jesus about being a servant and about basically doing things for others as we would do them for ourselves, not putting them in front of us, but including them beside us as brothers and sisters, 
all extremely important, all completely misunderstood because we never made that switch from subjective decision-making, which is us deciding basically as we grow up what's good for us, what do I want, what do I think, what do I see, smell, everything is certified by us. And the decisions we make are to put ourselves forward. And occasionally we will put something else forward as long as we get rewarded for it. So it's about us. And Jesus wanted us to be enlightened about this. He did not say that this was wrong to do, just that we needed to judge correctly. In other words, we need to enlighten and enlarge our vision. We need to go from completely subjective to objective decision-making. Objective decision-making is when you realize that you are a cell in the body of man and that all your brothers are, and sisters are just as important as you are, and that goes for the ones that are pain in the neck as much as the ones that are fun to be around. Now, they can cut themselves out of the human community. You cannot cut them out. And that's a big problem. Because when you choose to ignore them, you choose to slight them or take advantage of them, then you are pushing yourself out of the human community. This is the problem. So if you understand that what you do has consequences beyond your own life, it's not just your decision. Your decision has consequences for others. And you need to take responsibility for your decisions in that light then you'll understand that the Bible was written and includes all these statements and inferences that are incorrect, that are not logical, that are not God-centered, they're human-centered, for the reason of instructing you. These humans that had contact with God and were approved by him to be messengers to the rest of the human race. They were not perfect. They did not get everything. Their human lives were still human. They were born, they lived, their bodies died. Now, for those of you who want to know more about the 
spirit, the human spirit, and the soul, you need to read Hebrews. Read a lot of Paul. But Paul tells us that the, and this is in Ephesians also, that the soul, the human soul, is the inerasable blackboard and that it is the spirit that is the stylus that writes upon that blackboard. But nowhere does it say that either the stylus or the blackboard or the spirit that writes it, that motivates the writing, is inerrant. Only God is inerrant, and he is outside the human box completely. Now, religious people will point out that Jesus was inside the human box and that he is part of the Trinity. Well, that's because they include him in that. But actually, to the same extent that he was human and inside the box and of God, all humans are children of God, the seed of God. And we have the opportunity to grow up or not. And Jesus was very direct in telling us that if we did not grow up, we would die. And even before Jesus got here, Genesis, so that if we focus on knowledge as our bedrock, we would die. We have continued not to listen because it's painful. But the thing about reality is it does not go away. Reality can be very painful. You need to work to understand your place in the universe. The big three. Who are you? What are you? And why are you here on earth? Those are Moses' big three, but there is a fourth, and that is the one that I'm giving you, and that is, why was the Bible written? The Bible was written so that you can look at it and see that it has a physical beginning and a physical end. They are words on paper that present concepts. And it's those concepts that are important to us. This program is called The Writing is on the Wall. And that refers to Daniel 5. Daniel 5 is where Belshazzar, who's actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, has separated 
from another ruling relative and has basically half the kingdom in his particular that he is um, overseeing out of his particular capital city. He is co-king, if you will. But he's the one that we know the most about because he's the one who had Daniel living there. And when a human hand appeared at the party that he gave and wrote on the wall, many, many, tuckle, parson. He didn't understand what it meant, and he needed a translator. So eventually they got Daniel to come up and translate. Now there were only four words, and we still use these words today. M-E-N-E is now spelled M-A-N-Y in English. Tekel, T-E-K-E-L, refers to a weight of silver, which is still used in Britain. Parson is the nominative form for parse, which means still to this day, to divide, to set apart. So, from those four words, this is what Daniel said. And this is Daniel 5, verse 25. This is what has been written. Numbered, numbered, many, many, weighed and divided, Tekel Parson. This is its meaning. God has numbers the days of your kingdom and will bring it to an end. He also numbered Belshazzar's day. But of course, you're not going to say that to his face necessarily. <laughs> 27. Weighed, you have been weighed on a scale and found to be too light. The word we use today, most often, is minuscule. M-I-N-U-S-C-U-L-E. Now, many people think that we should spell it M-I-N-I. S-C-U-L-E, and say that there are smaller weights that are germane, and you shouldn't just say that one is too light or not complete. You should allow for smaller measurements. However, this is not biblical. The biblical part is you have been weighed and found wanting minus a full cule, which is a way of measuring grain. Divided, 
Your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So that word that we use today, parse, comes from this, which was their way of referring to divide and conquer, which is what the Persians did. They parsed. So there are only four words, but this is what Daniel translated them to mean for this individual, Belshazzar, as he is looking at the end of his kingdom. And I've already, we've gone through this. The Medes and the Persians are outside the gate, and he thinks he has until morning to deal with them, but he doesn't. Because the river was low, and they could get in under the gate. So everything that we get in the Bible is a concept from God that was translated by humans for humans to their best understanding. And it was included in the Bible in context so that we could go back and discern what they thought, what happened, and what else could it be? What could they have missed? What was not included as a data point in the box from an activity that was generated outside the box? And it's extremely important that you understand this, this concept, because this is the concept given to us by God. God loves us and he wants us to grow up, but he cannot grow up for us. And there is a time when you have to put the playthings of childhood aside. And chief among that is your decision that what you think and feel is more important than reality. That's the situation we're faced with. We did not figure out what Jesus was trying to tell us. The data points he was giving us about what it would be like once you had switched or at least added objective decision-making to the natural subjective decision-making that you grew up with and that every human ever born employs. Jesus was the first not just to employ subjective. Jesus was sent to discern what mankind's sticking point was and to use the authority God gave him to basically rub our nose in it. And he did. And it was reported by a minimum of three people in good standing, Matthew, Mark, 
and Luke. And then John tried to explain what it was that was important about everything that wasn't just a data point. And we misunderstood. It appears that we did not develop enough in the first 4,000 years. And we're at the point now with these last 2,000 years that we have developed sciences. And we understand that in order to get an answer to a physical question, we need to rigorously research the the different criteria that exist when we observe something, an action. And we record that. And then we'll use those same criteria and see if the same action or reaction results. If it does, then it's established scientifically. But we did not use these techniques, this reality overall technique against what we think and feel as humans, only to the physical world. And that's what we need to do. The Bible instructs us to use our first fruits of intelligence and our commitment to figure out what it is that God wants of us and why. Now, religious people will tell you that God wants your obedience, and that's because they want your obedience. Well, if you're obeying them instead of what the Bible tells you, then you stop short of being God's man. Jesus, in the upper room, told his disciples the difference between being a slave or a servant, if you will, that was the term he used, and being a friend. A friend works to understand why a friend does something, while a servant only obeys what the master has ordered. And he told them that they needed to spread the word throughout the world to become Jesus' friends and understand why he did as he did, why he instructed them in the way that he did. And that's the issue. We don't do that. We have never done that. We will adhere to the things that we understand as long as we understand them in our subjective decision-making system. But we are not going outside our comfortable box and creating the objective decision-making system that Jesus taught us to do. 
all those things that he told us about being born again and the truth will set you free, they are all 100% correct. But you don't get there until you develop the objective decision-making system where you do what you do, not just for your benefit or aggrandizement, but for the benefit of all. And the only way to benefit everyone is to obey the instructions and the directions that are in the Bible and figure it out. Why did God have the Bible written for you? Not just so you could follow, but so that you could understand. So in this last minute for this week, I want to let you know to read the Bible, trust in the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and do not rely on your own understanding. Instead, read Jesus' words and develop the objective decision-making system that raises all boats and promotes everyone at the same pace, none ahead of another. Thank you very much, and we'll talk again next week. Good night. This program has been sponsored by George Satari, CPN.